I think the key to having a healthy revenue as a content creator is to have as many orthogonal revenue streams as possible. Revenue streams that do not cannibalize each other. For example, if I'm selling Joma class, I'm not going to do like a sponsored video on like another, like another coding tutorial website, right? Because them spending it on that platform means they have less money to spend on my platform. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Little Noah, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Big Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talk with Joma Tech. This is a YouTuber. I know you're like, I'm tired of YouTubers, but God, they're so interesting. This guy is a Silicon Valley tech nerd who makes super funny videos that actually has a day job at a tech company and he makes YouTube videos. Really, really interesting guy. And his ultimate goal is actually to become a director and build a multi-million dollar media empire. If you've ever want to learn about how to have a full-time job plus grow a side hustle, his was a YouTube channel, over 1 million subs. You're going to love this episode. In this conversation, you enjoy three to five gigantic things. One, the downfalls of creating content to get external validation. I know I've struggled with that. Two, why he only releases one video a month. Three, why entertaining content trumps educational content. I'm still figuring that one out. Four, why he's creating a dating show. And five, how he plans to build the Gimlet Media of YouTube. You're going to enjoy those five things, plus even more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll wait. It's youtube.com slash okdork. I have literally nothing to do all day. Just do it. You got it? YouTube.com slash okdork? All right, cool. And then make sure you're subscribed to appsumo.com, the number one digital marketplace for entrepreneurs. Just go there, throw in your email, see amazing products, grow your business, make a lot of money, retire on the beach, get a Miata, and listen to the show. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener Brian Clayton of America. Sounds like someone cool who owns Home Depot stock. He left a review saying, definitely my favorite business podcast. I love you, dog. He said, no is practical, no nonsense advice and discussions with people of the same offers up some of the most valuable insights and information you're going to get. Damn, man. That was nice. I like you guys. Thank you and thank every other one of you listeners. It really means a lot. And if you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a comment on YouTube or leave a review anywhere online that you listen to the show. I check every single one of them. Dude, how's life? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm in New York now. So I have uh, lots of things to do, even during quarantine, because lots of things are open now. So I like that. Dude, you're like living every Asian guy's like dream. <laughs> Is it? Okay. What, what's the dream? <laughs> I grew up with, in San Jose. So I grew up like all my best friends are Asian. Like I'm living with an Asian here. I'm like, you guys, like you're just like living a dream. You're like, make cool stuff, have fun on the internet, make a lot of money, like have a bunch of dolls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's everyone's dream but it's definitely closer to mine. To be honest, it's it's not as fun as you'd think unless you really like creating content. I, I think that's the number one thing that I want to say. Like, like, first of all, I, I still have a full-time job, so it's not completely a dream. And uh, and I do enjoy the full-time job too, but I, I don't work there a lot, even though that it's supposed to be full-time. Don't tell my manager. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to watch this, don't worry. Yeah, excellent, excellent. But yeah, let, let's just say I work at a very big tech company, so you can get away with working like less than 10 hours a week. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's possible. I mean, uh, you, you kind of have to engineer your own role into this role where you just <laughs> don't need to do a lot of things. So, you know, for example, if you work in more in the infra side, then you don't have that many meetings because you don't need to work with cross-functional partners. If it's less product facing, then you don't need to work with PMs as much. So that minimizes your, <laughs> your meetings. So that way, you know, as long as you do well, like coding wise, then 
you know, that's fine. As long as you ship stuff, you prioritize. There's one tip that I like to tell people. So you do get requests from other teams or other people saying, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? I, I just ignore them. And 80% of the time, they don't come back. So you know that 80% of the time, it's it's not useful work. So just just ignore them. <laughs> this is not good advice for um for people on my channel. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully they're not going to slack off at their own work. But yeah. So w- what do you do for the 10 hours? I try to just live my life happily. <laughs> I walk around. I, I take a lot of walks these days. I, I, I honestly sound like a grandpa, but it's it's nice because, you know, when you walk around, I think of content, I think of ideas, things I want to pursue. And that's kind of like the life that I want to design for myself is that I wake up, I think about things to do. <laughs> and then if I want to do them, I just do it. And hopefully it pays off. And, you know, I, I could be financially secure that way. Right. That's like the dream. You know, you just wake up, do whatever you want to do, and hopefully you get paid for it. So that's why um, I'm getting close to there. I'm still not 100%, 100% there, but yeah. But let's say uh, the other 10 hours, I would say like, you know, I do some editing. I do some content creation. I talk with a lot of friends during the day. And then I also hang out with my girlfriend and watch Grey's Anatomy for like three hours. So yeah. <laughs> so a typical week of yours is 10 hours. You're actually working should I air quote it or real work at the company? No, I would say it's real work, but it's only 10 hours of focused uh, work. Mm-hmm. All right. So 10 hours of focus work, 10 hours of content creation. And then like the other 140, 30 hours a week, you're just like walking, having sex, eating, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I-, I play a lot of Valorant too, like the video games and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I should really time myself to see exactly how much I work on each things, but let's say it's very different like for example if i'm I'm, if i'm planning to publish a video sometimes i work like 40 hours a week on that video right before i publish it so it's kind of hard to say that every week is the same right how are you not living this dream this is like sounds an amazing dream you're like ah it's pretty good isn't this isn't that like a dream life (laughs) i mean i mean there are things i can improve like i i do want to be a a better writer better director and stuff like that and i'm not there yet right because because my dream is to become a film director and I'm far from that. So I guess the other half is just like you trying to grow as a person and are you at the place that you want to be? And that's like the missing piece, I guess. You feel like you're not, you don't feel like you're growing as much as you want? Yeah, I don't think I'm growing as much as I want in terms of how good I am getting at or like how close am I getting at to becoming like a film director, something more like traditional. Well, you are a director, right? You just, you're directing your own videos. What kind of director, what's your dream with that or aspiration? Like, do you want to like a, like a motion picture, Netflix, Grey's Anatomy season 18? Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause I do want to do more traditional things just because, um, it, it, in some ways it it really challenges you. Cause right now, you know, whenever I make videos, like I'm the one writing it, I'm the run directing it, producing it and acting in it. So I'm not really learning how to work with other people. I think that's my weakest point. I'm not very good at working with other people, hiring, scaling. That's a major weak point. And I want to grow that. And I feel like by being like a more traditional director, that's what you have to learn. You have to learn how to work with actors. You have to learn how to work with cinematographers, et cetera, et cetera. It's funny because, well, one, I'm happy to talk. You, you know, I'm, I don't know if you know much about my background or what I've worked on. AppSumo. Yeah, AppSumo.com. And I was one of the first people at Facebook and started, uh, yeah, done a few other things. So I'm happy to talk with you about that if, uh, if you find it be helpful. But it's interesting because a lot of people aspire to, to make money and have things without having to deal with a lot of other people. 
I think there are there are various stages of where people want to get in life, right? So the the first stage is they want to be financially comfortable first, and once they're financially comfortable, they want to have purpose. And I feel like getting to financial like stability, it takes two things. It takes you know making a lot of money, but then also being able to accept that you don't need that much money to live a happy life. I guess. You know, because some people can say, oh, I need a million dollars. And then later on, oh, I need 10 million, 100 million, I need a billion, right? And if if they're still not happy, then then I I think there's an issue there. It's because like, they don't really realize what to like, they don't know how to spend their money <laughs> to make themselves happy. And I feel like once you've achieved like the money, or maybe even the status, depending on some people, you realize that those things don't really matter. What you want is you want to become the person that you envision yourself to be. And I want to be someone that's like very creative and very collaborative. And I feel like most of the joy comes from learning from other people. And I feel like as a director, you can learn a lot from these different people. But honestly, yes, you, you're totally right that I don't want to work with people I hate, right? I mean, there's a stigma to like meetings and working and stuff like that. And that's because most of the time you're forced to work with people you don't like, especially if you work at a job or like at a company that you don't own, then you don't have a choice. You know, you work with people that you might not like, but then if you're a director or if you're the owner of your company, like AppSumo, you get to create your own culture, hire the people you want to hire, you know, get inspired by people who work for you. So I think that's the goal, right? Creating your own community that supports you. What brings you joy? Being able to create really cool stuff. Honestly, it doesn't matter if it's content, video content, or maybe even a company, but as long as you build something and you feel that, wow, this is a piece of art, like a business can be a piece of art, I believe. And I think that brings me joy because there's a certain satisfaction to being able to create something that you are proud of. And the funny thing is, every time I watch my own videos, I'm like, oh, this is crap. <laughs> so it's really hard for me. Like, I'm happy in a way that I, I, I designed a life for me such that I could pursue the stuff I want to pursue. But I'm also really hard on myself whenever I make videos or just anything creatively. I'm like, ah. Oh, it's not good. It's crap. It's cringe. Yeah, that happens a lot. Is it? Yeah. I, I love your videos, man. I, Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. You're I mean, a great director. You take something that, and I, I think it's interesting to learn more about that. We'll get into it, but you, you make it entertaining to watch. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, th that means a lot to me because I'm, I'm not sure if my content is interesting to watch for everyone or like for most people because sometimes I just think like, oh, they only watch my videos because they want to get into tech companies, which is why they watch my videos, because they just want to learn how to get into big tech companies. But lately, I, I, I do feel that there are people watching my videos for entertainment purposes, which I really enjoy and, and I'm very happy about. And, and you could see that you could see that in terms of the shift of the content that I, I used to make and, and that I make now. Well, I guess one thing, why don't, why don't you just do the full time thing? Why do you even have a day job? I, I guess one one thing that my work gives me is uh, inspiration in terms of um, the culture. Like for, for me to make jokes about tech culture, I have to be in the tech culture. So it does help me get inspiration. And also there's, there's, this, um, there's this internal website at my company where they have memes posted. And sometimes they're pretty good. And, 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 and I might copy some of them and make them into video form. And uh, people enjoy that. So. <laughs> Well, I think that's interesting. You know, it's um, one of the things I've always thought with companies is like you have your day job and then you have your like experiments. So even within our business, right, it's like you get your kind of playground and knowledge and expertise and like freshness here. And then you bring that into like the main thing. And there's like some of it have, le you know, less to lose. 
I guess I was thinking about our company, we have like AppSumo, the main thing. We have all these kind of like side projects that we've created and experimented over the years. And it's like, well, from some of them, we're like, oh, that's cool. That's working. Let's like bring that main thing back into AppSumo. Oh, that's awesome. But I like that you get the meme. I mean, more importantly is the memes. I mean, that's the only reason to create a company. Exactly. <laughs> For most of your, is most of your, because I was wondering, I was watching yourself. I was like, I wonder what his days are like, because you put out a video about a month, it seems like. Yeah. And then you're not working much. So I was like, I wonder what he does do all day. I know. Uh, to be honest, I do feel a little bit guilty sometimes where um, I feel like I don't output as much. But then I kind of, uh, I, I read somewhere, like, I think it was a tweet. They, I think it was Naval. He said something about, like, the cost of productivity is creativity. So I now I feel good about myself. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not productive, but <laughs> it helps my creativity. I don't know if that's true for me. But I like to think so. That is true. Versus like, the, you know, there's a lot. I was talking with uh, some friends who are productivity YouTubers this morning. Not air quote. They're productivity YouTubers. And I, all three of them are like, yeah, I goof off a lot. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that's, that's key to being productive. You don't want to burn yourself out. I did work a lot when I started my channel. I, I, think, I think I spent like 40 hours on YouTube and 40 hours on, at work. So, that, so it was really, really hard. And, and I did burn out. And I said, Oh, it's, it's not, it's, it's just not worth it. And I think part of the burnout is also not hitting your expected goals. Mm, totally. I, I think that's key. Like people can work hard if they enjoy it and if, you know, their outcomes are great. But when you work really hard on the YouTube channel and the growth is not there, then you get really disappointed. I think that's what happens to a lot of YouTubers because they go viral once or twice. And they expect that, oh, this is going to be the number of subscribers or number of views that I'll get from now on. But that's not true because that's just like a little a, a little viral video that's getting you all these views. And then later on, once they create more videos, they don't get the number of expected views. And then they got all depressed because they're trying to overcompensate by just creating more videos. But that doesn't help because like their views per video are going down while you know, while they're trying so hard to, to like, uh, close that gap, but it's not going to work. And then they burn out. Yeah, I had that with my podcast. So I feel you on that. Like, I wanted to get 100,000 downloads an episode. I got to like 20 to 25,000, which is really good for a podcast. And then I was in the 100,000. So I was like, and I quit for a while, I took a break. I was like, if I would have just kept going, eventually, I would have got there. But it was just because my expectations were so off. And then it, it, I think that tr it's true for not just content for all of this stuff. I'm a good starter. And so I'm working on sometimes on either hiring help or finishing. And I was like, if I would just like, how do I sustain this for the next 10 years? Like, how do I find the format and enjoyability? And you know, you also want to see some rewards from it. It's something like, hey, I hella enjoy it. And I can do this for a very long time. So I guess that's interesting. Is that is that why you think maybe you do like one video a month? I realized that it, it doesn't matter if you upload frequently or not. I feel like a lot of people like learn about this myth where you have to post once a week or else the YouTube algorithm will punish you. I don't think that's true. I think the YouTube algorithm just accelerates what users are like, how users are behaving, how your viewers are behaving, right? So for me, I feel like if I just make one good video, it's worth like 10 shitty videos, which is why I prefer to post once a month and it goes potentially viral. And also there's this it's kind of like a scarcity thing where if you only post once a month, people will get very excited that you're posting. They're like, oh my God, Joma posted. And then they'll share it to people. And then that might uh, trigger something on YouTube. Like, oh, you know, this video is shareable and stuff like that. But if I post every week, they're like, oh, well, it's the norm. He posts every week. I'm sure my friend saw it. So I'm not even going to share it to him. 
Uh, that's just a theory, though. I'm not sure if that's true. Yeah, I guess there's different marketing approaches for like the quantity of content. Mm-hmm. Like think about uh, like music videos or K-pop stars. They only post like once every year <laughs> or once every six months. But you know when they post, it it goes crazy and everyone watches them. It's funny because like my stuff, I, I don't think it's shitty. I think definitely there's some videos we put out that are a lot better than others. I'm like, oh, this is a really good one. And other ones, I'm like, yeah. But it, it feels still to some extent like it still feels hit or miss to me. I'm like, I put out video on like totally flops. I'm like, I thought that was going to do better. And so then I, I, it gets me into the quantity game. I'm just like, all right, we'll do as, do as many as possible. But I like, I like hearing uh, like other opinions to other approaches. I, I do like that strategy though, the, the quantity, because I, I feel like that strategy is pretty decent because you don't know what's going to go viral or you don't know what's going to work well. So if you do a lot, there, there are more opportunities for each of the, or well, there are more opportunities to go viral because you just put out more videos, right? But, and, and, and I'm not saying that people who post frequently post shitty videos. Like that's, that's totally, that's totally not true. I, I like, for example, if, if I had the bandwidth to post once a week, and make the same kind of videos, I would, but I, I just, I, I just can't. I, I don't have a team to help me, unfortunately. Have you thought about building out a team? I have thought about uh, building a team, but every time I hire like an editor or like a producer and stuff like that, you know, after a month or two, I'm like, ah, it's, it doesn't work out. Like, it's just the fit is not there, so I, I have a lot of trouble there. But I also haven't like advertised a an open position yet, so maybe I just had like. I didn't have enough, a big enough sample size to see talent. Yeah. I mean, I think, can I make a suggestion maybe? Oh yeah, of course, please. I mean, would you, I don't know. Well, sometimes I don't want people's opinions. Sometimes I do. I think most of the time I like feedback. It just, I guess, depends who who's saying it. I'd be curious because like a lot of people I've hired that are, that I've tried to hire that came in easy. Like, it sounds like a little bit, what happened to you? Like, it was the first person like, yeah, hey, I'll do that. And you're like, okay. And then they were you're like, oh, it sucks. All right, I'm not doing it anymore. Generally, hiring has never come easy, but it's always come effectively, meaning the first person that comes in easy doesn't really work. But if you put out a, a job and you actually put in the effort, like it generally is extremely rewarding. Not rewarding, but like it's you get the result, you get the return. So I, I would be curious what would happen, assuming you want to do more. That's up to you. I, I can't just say that. Like if you put it out, even on your you know community tab, or you put it out to your email list and you had a, you know, a little bit of a process, like how much you get the reward for you know the amount of input you did. Yeah, honestly, I, I think I just didn't, put enough effort to hiring. I think one of the reasons is I'm a little bit afraid of working with other people because then they see how bad of an actor I am. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about like all the edits or what do you mean? Yeah, because I'm, I'm a really bad actor and I filmed the same thing like multiple times, like maybe sometimes even 20 times and I edit it so that it looks good. And I'm a little bit embarrassed. Like imagine if I was working with an editor, then they'll realize like, oh my God, this guy's terrible, <laughs> you know? But um, but yeah, I'm trying to get out of my shell. I'm trying to uh, hire more and more people. I'm actually starting two other channels. They th- there aren't any videos yet, but there's going to be two separate channels that are completely different than my tech channel. Why is that? I feel like I might be a one hit wonder with Joma Tech. I'm not sure if I can do it again. So in some sense, it's my way to prove to myself that hey, I could make entertaining videos that is not related to tech. I do feel like making tech videos right now is like a crutch to me. The only reason why my videos work is because I'm in this niche and no one in this niche is trying to be entertaining. <laughs> so I feel like that's the only reason why I'm succeeding. So that's why I have like two different channels. One of them is more of a vlog channel about me in New York City. So it's literally called Joma in NYC. And then another channel, it's kind of like 
a dating show where um, it's less about me, but I produce this dating show where three guys and three girls come together at a, in like in a video chat in the hopes to find love. They're, they're all single. And then we kind of just watch them interact. And then I'm going to hire like a panelist. Maybe they're, maybe it's like a bunch of YouTubers and they'll just comment on their interactions. It's kind of like the Japanese reality TV show, Terrace House. Terrace House? Yeah, Terrace, a T-E-R-R-A-C-E, House. Yeah, it's kind of like that show, but for YouTube. And yeah, I hope it does well. Dude, this is, I haven't heard that. I like that. That last idea I really like. Like seeing you in New York, I'm sure it'd be entertaining and it'd be fun. I, I mean, I think everyone likes relationships and seeing how people meet. And uh, I, I find it fascinating. I guess one thing that was is startling or surprising is the, not, I wouldn't say imposter syndrome, but like how they'd see me behind me, they'd see the real you. Because I think a lot, I think everyone feels that to some extent. Even me, like I've run these companies and we've grown it to these sides and I'm like, do I actually know anything? And like, maybe I'm awful of shit. And like, it's interesting that I guess ever it is comforting at times, I guess, to know other people also are thinking that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think everyone thinks like that, to be honest. And yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to get more confidence. But I think those two channels, if they, if they succeed, I think it would really give me confidence that, oh, you know, I'm not, it's not just because of tech. I'm actually a decent YouTuber. What does that matter, man? Because I'm like, Mark Zuckerberg has only created one fucking product ever. He hasn't done shit <laughs> since. Like, he created one thing, and he's very smart, and he's made many good decisions about the business, but I'm like, he just did one. He, you know, he doesn't need to go create another company to prove to fucking anyone. Like, he hit a home run. And I think you've hit a home run with a million subscribers with energy. Like, I'm, I guess I'm in tech, and I find it entertaining because I get the stuff, but it's like, yeah, I wonder why you have to go do that to, to prove yourself to anybody. Yeah, you're right. Honestly, I shouldn't. It, that, and that's a bad mental habit of mine. You know, always trying to prove to different sets of people. Honestly, even starting my channel, it wasn't the healthiest thing. I wanted to prove to these viewers that, oh, you know, I'm smart or like I'm funny or I could create this content. And then later on, I'm like, oh, well, I know these people like me, but I want to impress these people. Like, let's say I want to impress these VC people. (laughs) So I went to, I had a phase where I was reading a lot of creator economy stuff on Twitter. And I read all these articles and I thought to myself, oh, they're not totally accurate. I think they're kind of wrong, to be honest. And then I started writing on Substack, writing on Twitter about uh, creator economy stuff. And then I realized the only reason why I was writing that is because I wanted to get the approval of all these VCs or founders. And it, I wasn't doing it for myself. Like I wasn't enjoying it. So I, I think you're right about wh- why do you feel like you need to prove yourself? And you should only focus on what you enjoy. And, and, and that's true. And sometimes I catch myself saying, oh, wait, do I really want to do this? Or is it just to impress a subset of people? You're right. Maybe I should uh, not do my dating channel. <laughs> no kidding. Look, you should do whatever the fuck you want. And if it is that stuff, I mean, it was inspiring to hear you say that stuff. Because I think as I've made more money and as I've gotten older, I'm like, am I doing this because I want to make money? Am I doing this to prove myself to this? Like, you know, we're, we're having some things going on in AppSumo. And it's like, well, what do I really want to be doing? And if it's which piece of that is like genuine. And sometimes, you, you know, you know how it goes. You suck it up. You do some shit. You just have to get it done. It's interesting to explore that. Like someone this past, I'm in LA for the week and they're like, why do you make YouTube videos? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It's pretty fucking enjoyable. I don't know. It's, it's, and so it's, and then, and then it makes me also second guess. Like, do I really want to be doing that? Am I like, is this actually what I'm enjoying or is there something else? And uh, I guess I enjoy it. I enjoy the, the interactions. And I think you can, I do think you can almost find fulfillment in anything. 
Like there's people who like pick up trash that are like, I saw some guy pick up trash. He looked pretty happy. I was like watching him today. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's totally true. I, I, uh, I also read somewhere, somebody said there's no such thing as passion. Passion comes from mastery or something like that. Like you work on it so much that it, you develop that passion. There's no such thing as like, oh, this is definitely what I want to do. And then there's a lot of people who drop their jobs or like drop their careers just to pursue what they think they want. But then like a few weeks later, they realize that's not the that's not what they want. Yeah, it was interesting with the procrastin with the productivity and talking about procrastination. Like all their advice about like which tools to use, how to schedule, how to like to do list. They're like, just find things you want to do, and then you're not worried about it's not you worry less about the procrastination and whatever aspect that is. And I was like kind of obvious advice but it's also like oh yeah if i'm not enjoying it it makes it much much harder to go do that stuff like they got one of the guys was talking about how he gets up at 6 a.m guess when i wake up <laughs> oh no he gets up at 6 a.m because he said he likes to go bike riding at that time and he's like i love bike riding so i don't mind getting up at 6 a.m and i appreciated that oh you get up i can see you getting up probably at like noon me yeah that's exactly right how'd you, how'd you know <laughs> either noon or 1 p.m but um but, but i have an excuse it's um i sleep at 3 a.m or 4 a.m and, and and it's because um my work is at pacific time so that that's my excuse yes that's why 3 a.m you're literally every eight you, you ever seen the movie big big it's with tom hanks it's like 19 oh man you gotta watch it you'll love it it's like a 1990 it's basically this kid who wants to be an adult and he gets to be an adult body and have all this money and toys I'm not saying you're a little kid living a big body. I'm saying like you're living the <laughs> dream, dude. Like you're living in New York, making a bunch of money, having jobs, been doing YouTube stuff, waking up at noon. I, I don't make that much money. In, in case your listeners think I make a lot of money, I, I'm I'm not I'm not that wealthy. Like it's just enough for me to screw around with projects and stuff like that. But I I can't buy like a jet or like a Lamborghini and stuff like that. You know, that's I'm definitely not at that level. Okay, well, two things about that. Number one. The uh, you just need rich friends, so don't have to worry about making. That's what I always tell people: I'm like, just marry rich or find rich friends. The other thing that uh, is interesting, well, two other things. One, I rented a Lambo last year when I was living here, and I pulled up to this like restaurant, Maestros, and the guy was watching. The guy outside the valet was watching YouTube videos on how to do business, <laughs> and he he was watching Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's like, "Hey man, that's a, he's like that's a great Lambo." I was like, "Yeah, dude." He's like, how, how'd you get it? And I was like, it's a rental. <laughs> I just rented it for a day. You only need, it was like $280. Yeah, it's pretty cheap to have the Lambo. And then flying private, though, is cool. I wish I could do that more often. I don't, I've only done it a few times. But I guess the, the thing I was wondering for you is like, how much money? And this is something I'm curious for everyone. Like, how much money is financial freedom? So you're saying like, or financial security, you were like, oh, I don't have that much. Well, like, how much is the much you'd be like, oh, fuck, dude, I'm like, I'm solid. Because everyone, everyone has a different number. And it's been interesting to find out. <sighs> Yeah, I, I think that, that that's difficult because um, it really depends how much you spend. I feel like you should focus more on spending or you, don't force yourself to spend less, but try to be conscious on on like what spendings don't give you as much happiness. Like, for example, getting a Lambo, right? But I do feel like if you make like 300K a year, like as that's just like a normal uh, senior software engineer, I think that's way more than enough. Uh, no, I'd say it's enough. Maybe not way more than enough, but I think someone making like 300k a year—that's enough. That's 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 very good. Yeah, yeah. Even after tax in New York or California, you're still getting 150 take on. Yeah, exactly. And and I think no, that's a lot of money. So so there's two types of people that watch me. Some people are already in tech, and 
yeah, they make like 300K, but they're not satisfied, right? So I'm mostly talking to them right now. But for people who are, you know, actually, you know, working real jobs, because honestly, sometimes I don't even consider software engineering as a real job because it's just so easy and nice and, and you get paid a shit ton of money. But for people who have real jobs, like, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to get to financial security. It's not an easy thing, right? Like, I would say you'd have to have like at least like a million in the bank to kind of feel safe in, in, in this weather, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not super easy to get financial security. But I do think that once you reach it, you should really reevaluate your decisions and think about what are you doing that's purely for the money and what are you doing for fun? Or like, sorry, for, for yourself. Yeah, completely. I mean, that is interesting. I mean, I noticed when I didn't, I even had some money in the bank. It was only, I didn't actually feel too secure until I had a, I don't know, a few million dollars. When I had a million, actually, I was like, I, I could go broke, I can go poor. But I think the point is like, how do you still live without that? And that's ultimately, I think a lot of times how you make more money, which it, it's kind of intuitive because you're like, no, nah, I don't know, just go do it. I'd go do the thing that like you think will make money. But when I've done that, I always kind of gave up. Versus like, hey, I like doing these videos. I like talking to cool people. Like, absolutely, like, we get to promote cool software. And it's like, oh, make money doing that? Yeah. My brother used to have this saying. It's like the dumbest saying ever. But it's it's his tip that he gives everyone. He said, just get rich quick. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, just get rich quick. But I think what he means by that is, okay, you know, if you are going to spend the first few years of your life working for a company that you don't enjoy, try to at least maximize your revenue potential, you know, working in finance, software engineering, stuff like that, so that you can get to a point where you're not going to make decisions based on a 10% raise or a 20% raise, you're going to make decisions based on what you enjoy doing. And that's what he did. You know, he used to work in finance, I think he used to work as a quant at Two Sigma. And after four years, I think he has, he had a decent amount of money, so he could have gone to like a as a portfolio manager for another quant firm, and that would be probably like a huge pay bump. But instead, he worked for a startup for like I don't know thirty k a year. But you know, but he was like one of the co founders, and and then that that startup got bought for like I don't know sixty million or something like that. And he probably made more money doing the startup than that quant job. And I do truly believe that if you do something that you enjoy, you're gonna do it a lot better. And if you do it a lot better, the outcomes are like the, the payoff will be greater, you know? So in some sense, because you're not thinking about money, you're actually going to make more money, well, hopefully. But I do have this theory that if you do what you enjoy and you're really good at it, I think that's an important part, you will get paid for it. Yeah, I like that. That was nice to hear. It made me reflect for your career. You tried to be an engineer at like Facebook and Google or that's the, I saw a video so I started as a data scientist at Facebook, and then now I work as a software engineer at um, a big tech company. I guess what I was thinking about, or I guess you did get the job at Facebook, what I was thinking that was interesting was that like, if people can't do it in one way, or like, hey, it's not working as a developer, like, I thought it was actually interesting, like, oh, well, maybe I could be a content creator about this stuff, or I could do another type of thing in the same thing that I'm interested in. Like, I'm guessing you're interested in tech, just like I am. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do have some interest in tech. There are a lot of successful YouTubers related to tech that, you know, that might not work for Google, that might not work for Facebook, but they do really well uh, on YouTube. And, and I think that's great. I think it's really important to recognize what your skills are, right? I was fortunate enough to, to land a position at uh, like Facebook, LinkedIn and stuff like that when I was an intern. So it was pretty easy for me to land all these uh, tech jobs out of school. 
you know, but if I didn't go to Waterloo, for example, and or, or like I didn't study CS, then I wouldn't be able to do that. But maybe I would still do YouTube because, you know, inherently, I do feel that I do have the skills for it. And eventually I'll discover that. And eventually I will get success from that. But it's, it's kind of crazy. You can make more money being a content creator than the, the engineering jobs. Yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty crazy. But if you think about it, it's not that crazy because <laughs> as a software engineer, you don't have as much impact as you think. You know, you work on small features, you work on, you know, small optimizations and stuff like that. As a content creator, your content is infinitely scalable. So you can reach as many people as you can, like you can, you can reach 10 millions of people. And then as long as you have that power to reach people and that, you know, attention equals money. So yeah, you can make a lot of money being a content creator. But the thing is, it's difficult, right? I mean, you're competing against all the other content creators. There's only a limited amount of eyeballs on YouTube. I mean, YouTube is growing, so that's good for all of us. But there's there there will be a point where it stops growing, where people won't spend as much time on YouTube. But then, yeah, you'll be competing against like everyone else. So it is awesome that you could be a content creator and make a bunch of money but you also have to realize that it's actually more competitive than software engineering for example i didn't think about that but yeah you know i at any level of success like there's less people available to do it potentially right like if you're a baseball player it's like i've been meeting a few people who didn't make it to the major leagues but like got pretty close and so to make it at these elite levels like i think what what i heard you say at least the way i'm trying it's like you have to find something enjoy and then honestly work really hard at it it's not like oh i put out a few videos and i'm gonna be rich at this Mm -hmm, exactly and and i do see a lot of people trying to get onto youtube because they want to make the money and they quickly realize that oh no it's way too hard it's way too time consuming and it's not worth it to be honest like money wise it's not a good decision to start a youtube channel especially if you're a software engineer right if you're a software engineer making 200k a year and you want to spend 40 hours a week making youtube videos and getting like two dollar <laughs> two dollars a month in ad rates like dude that's that's totally not worth it you know people thought i was crazy when i was working at facebook and spending so much time doing my youtube channel but the reason that i kept going on it was because i i just really enjoyed it it was my passion so i continued but economically it doesn't make any sense i could have just spent that time i could have spent that time working at facebook doing <laughs> you know instead of working like 40 hours a week what if i worked 80 hours a week i'm pretty sure i would have gotten like many promotions and lots of uh discretional equity dis no discretionary equity yeah did you feel like you went into the, the programming stuff because your parents because what it sounded interesting earlier was you're like hey i'm a i want to be a director which you get to do on youtube you are a director and you are the producer and the actor and the screenwriters and if there was no money in our world would you have just done gone right into film or was it, was it always an interest in programming and then, hey, it also makes a lot more money guaranteed? If there was no money in programming, I would have gone to investment banking, <laughs> right? So th that's what happens to people who are just like generally smart at school. If you've succeeded at school, you get good grades and stuff like that, but you have no passion or interest, the number one thing that you would do is just go to a profession where it's the easiest to make a bunch of money, right? Back then, it might have been investment banking, consulting, and stuff like that. I feel like nowadays, it's software engineering. I do feel that most people who go into software engineering don't really care about software engineering. And I was kind of like that. That was the only reason why I went into programming is because I had a knack for it, and it made a lot of money. 
right out of college. So that's the only reason why I chose it. If I had infinite money when I was a kid, if my parents were wealthy, then yeah, no, I would definitely go into like uh, media for sure, 100%. What ways as a creator now do you make money? So you obviously have like YouTube AdSense, because I saw you had the Joma class. I was curious if there's, I was talking with Samir from Colin Samir earlier, just like, the different business models of the, the creator economy. So I'm always kind of curious how others are doing it. Yeah, so I have Joma Class, which is just a uh, online platform. It's just videos. To be honest, people subscribe to it, and then they get videos like coding tutorial videos. And that's because a lot of people ask me about, you know, how do you learn Python? How do you learn data structures and stuff like that? That's like the biggest portion of my revenue. And then there's AdSense. And then there's sponsored videos, but I don't do sponsored videos anymore because I use my inventory to promote my own Joma class. But basically, for me, I think the key to having a healthy revenue as a content creator is to have as many orthogonal revenue streams as possible. Revenue streams that do not cannibalize each other. For example, if I'm selling Joma class, I'm not going to do like a sponsored video on like another, like another coding tutorial website right? Because them spending it on that platform means they have less money to spend on my platform. But if I'm selling like HelloFresh, then yeah, that's cool. You know, I'm targeting like other people, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not coding related and stuff like that. So that is interesting. Just the basically, did you create this from scratch, by the way? Yeah, I created Joma class from scratch. And I did have a small, small team of one editor and one animator to help me with. And it was really great because the animator um, she's actually a PhD student and she also works in tech so that, uh, you know, she, so it's a lot easier to translate my technical scripts into visuals because if you're not in tech, you know, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So you won't know how to animate these data structures and stuff. I did like your point about staying, you know, you have a day job because it also kind of gives you a lot of inspiration for this. Cause I wonder, yeah, if you did the content creation and just built out Joma class, like that's an interesting business model there. The other thing that you got me reflecting on, I met a mountain biker and Seth, he has a Seth Bike Hacks, Berm, Berm Peak, like really fun to watch, amazing videographer. He is not the world's best mountain biker, not even close, but he's probably one of the most well-paid mountain bikers in the world. And when he goes, when, you know, you go out to a mountain bike event, he gets a lot more attention than the guys winning the championships and the guys doing, and it's, it was kind of fascinating to really think about kind of similar to you, like. Not, I'm not insulting you, but I was like, is Joma, you know, is this guy, the, you know, is he the best programmer in the world? Definitely not. <laughs> I'm definitely not the best programmer in the world. You might be, you might be, but I just thought it was fascinating. Like if you're not even not, you're not, but like you are the best programmer who also is really good making content. Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, I think that is key. I do think that to succeed as a content creator, you don't need to be the best in whatever you're doing. Like it does help. Like imagine if you are like, for example, Justin Khan, you know, Justin Khan sold Twitch for like a billion dollars so that when he talks about business, people will listen. He has that brand already. He has that credibility. But to be good in content, you just have to understand how to make whatever you're interested in, in a cinematic form or in a form that's digestible, right? Especially because like, or like if you're trying to grow an audience, I think entertainment trumps learning. Mm. And it's pretty obvious just by looking at the views. Like you have really, really great, high quality coding videos and tech videos on YouTube, but they don't get that many views per video. Because the problem is you watch these videos and you're like, oh, today I'm going to learn Python. But then once you're like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to learn Python anymore. Then are you still going to watch that channel? No, you're not. <laughs> right. 
and 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 that's just how uh that's just how people are it's like once you give up you're not gonna continue learning <laughs> so you're not gonna watch these channels anymore but for entertainment it's like oh i enjoyed that i want to be i want to entertain myself again next time so i'll keep watching this person and it's great yeah like yeah the, the, the thing that you said about the mountain biker it reminds me of uh, gamers when you're a pro at uh, whatever game that you're playing like league of legends or um or valorant if you're one of like the best players and you're in a competitive team, you might not make a lot of money. But if you're entertaining like Ninja for Fortnite, then you make you probably make more than any of these competitive players, right? So the moral of the story is don't be the best coder, but like make good videos coding. Or like if I'm the best marketer, don't be the best marketer, but like make good videos. No, obviously that's not always the case. <laughs> it's just interesting to realize like if you're interested in something, there are other ways of making money doing it. A friend of mine, uh, he runs chess.com and you, if you ever met someone who's a really good chess player, they're like, oh, there's no money really in chess, unless you're like maybe the best. And it's like, oh, there are ways of making it happen if you're really interested in your creative. Yeah, but I would argue that if you're a content creator for chess or like if you're a content creator for coding, you're not a coder. You're, you're more of a content creator than a coder. So in some sense, like you can't really compare a professional chess player and a content creator about chess, right? Yeah. It was just, I guess I was just thinking more like there are, if you're interested in whatever hobby you have and you want to make it a profession, like there's ways of monetizing. It doesn't have to just be as a content creator. Yeah, I feel that. But there's also the issue where um, imagine if you really love chess and you want to make a career out of it and you want to play chess, but then now you also have to make videos. And if you don't enjoy making videos, then that's not going to work out. That's a challenge with, I mean, any. it's funny, Andrew, my friend who's staying, uh, we're staying here together. He's like, eventually it's work. It's always work. Right. Ideally, you want to find something that doesn't, it doesn't feel like work. And it's like, man, I get to do this and get paid. And that's, I think, the dream for most people. Because like sitting around all day, I don't think it would be that fun. I mean, I think it's fun for like a day. Uh, but it's like, oh, let me find the career of like, I like, I get a direct and I get to be a part of tech. Like, and that's like my job getting paid. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. What other, uh, one thing I was curious from you is like, have you built or have you built, didn't put out videos? Like, I loved your trading bot when your more recent videos. I guess the two things I was curious is like, have you, how have you used engineering in your content creation? Like, and then, you know, cause I think engineers are probably the smartest people on earth. And then the other thing I was curious around was like, have you built other things you haven't released or you're excited to be building? For these videos, at least, um, I build it specifically for the video itself, but I always, I always have like ideas of things I want to build, but if it's not good content, I usually don't do it, but there are things that I want to exist. Like, for example, I, I do want an IMDB for YouTubers because, um, you know, like I said, it's very hard for me to hire people. So I wish I can just go to a YouTuber and see who worked on their videos. And like, for example, if I go to Logan, if I go to, mm, let me choose a cooler creator. Let me think. Hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who would you choose? Who's, who's a cool creator? Um, okay. Do you know Matt Devella? Yeah. Matt Devella is like the gold standard. Let, let's say Mark Rober. Yeah. My, oh, his video is so good. Right. And I say, oh, I want to know who edits his videos, then I wish then I wish there's an IMDB page for that so that I can also offer them a, a, a contract job or something like that. Dude, that's a great idea. It solves my problem, at least. And then there's this other idea where um, I might not use it, but for people who want to spend more money on their videos, I, I wish what they can do is kind of do a little uh, IPO on their, own, on their pre-released videos where people can buy shares of the video so they'll get they'll get like a percentage of the revenue from the video or like the sponsor 
revenue from that video so that you know they can kind of like upfront the money so that they can use that money to make that video and then the people who invested in that video will get paid off dude i like that i think that's really clever well there's i start, heard of a site called Ustir. it's like some new creator monetization platform i think it's Ustir. oh i think i know what stir is yeah yeah but what i and i saw it and i was like it didn't really seem that interesting to me eric eric's probably one of my favorite creators on youtube yes yes one of the things he did is that in stir you can pitch idea like he has all these people pitch ideas and if he uses your ideas you get a cut of the revenue and they use stir as a way of like splitting it up so like the ad revenue kind of gets bucketed to like oh these people have the topics like this person was helping with the script and like kind of you can kind of uh divvy it up that way i thought that was clever but similarly with yours it's it, Almost like goes on this NFT trend. It's a little bit with BitClout, but there's actually something that backs it. <laughs> you know, there's actually something tangible that backs it. Like you get something. Exactly. Right. Like it's it's actually worth something. <laughs> For now, BitCloud is just pure um it's just I guess it's just pure hype. But imagine if like you actually buy a share of their revenue, then then yeah, there's it's something substantial there. Is it your future like you want to keep doing both? I do feel that eventually I want to create kind of like a media company that has multiple channels running and yeah i think that's where i want to end up i don't see myself coding uh in the future so i basically want to build uh the gimlet media of youtube i'm not sure if you know what gimlet media is but it's uh by alex bloomberg he just made a bunch of podcasts that are really high quality and then he sold his company to spotify for like 200 million but i do believe that there's a lot of potential in youtube still and I feel like people aren't tapping into traditional talent on YouTube. Like most YouTube channels are like a single person and they're like filming themselves and stuff like that. But I, I do feel that YouTube is the new TV. And a lot of people say, yeah, of course, it's a new TV because people spend uh, so much time on YouTube. But also in the business side of things, because back then, uh, actors would say, oh, I want to I want to act in films, not TV. TV is like low tier, <laughs> right? Films is where it's at. And that's because for films, people get to take like years to write a script, years for producing and, and, and like years of post-production. So it's like really uh, pieces of art. They, they, like the incentive is, is to try to create a piece of art so good that people are willing to pay to watch it, go to the movie theaters and pay to watch it, right? But for TV back then, it was totally different. The content you see on TV is free right? Uh, for cable TV or whatever, it's it's free. So you, you don't need to pay to watch television, but you get ads. So the business model for TVs is, okay, you're trying to create formats or TV shows that are cheap, relatively cheaper to produce. And you want to produce as many as possible because you want the same users to come back and then get those ad impressions. And that's how you get the most money, right? So the, the model is different from film. So being good producing TV shows like Shonda Rhimes, totally different from producing great films for uh, like, um, who makes films? <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> but recently, TV shows aren't on TV anymore. You watch them on streaming services like Netflix or uh, Disney. So you got WandaVision that's like really well produced. They write for the whole season and then they produce it and then they film it, right? It's not like before where you write for one episode, you film it, produce it, done. Another episode, done, right? Like you don't like you don't finish the whole season before you film. But now we have these like really high quality shows like Breaking Bad and all these HBO shows. And that's because the incentives, uh, they're very similar to films now. You want people to pay for it. So they pay for the streaming service to have access so that they can watch that specific show, right? Like for example, I pay for Disney Plus 
because I wanted to watch WandaVision. But the only place, the only platform that has the same business model as TV back then, which is trying to get as many views as possible, try to get people uh, to come back and watch it, is YouTube because it's still heavily based on ads and ad impressions. So I do feel that there is so much to learn from the TV industry back then. You know, how do you create good TV? How do you create good storylines? How do you create good reality TV shows, unscripted shows? How do you create these TV shows that are just so compelling where people come back again and again? Right now, there are a lot of YouTubers that do that by accident. Like, for example, David Dobrik, you know, he kind of created Friends in a YouTube version. And you got Emma Chamberlain, you know, it's a little bit like Kim Kardashian because you're just like following a single person around and there isn't like a storyline. And I feel like there's so much opportunity there to kind of uh, learn from the past people who done really well on TV and apply that to YouTube. And I feel like the people who will do that will be very, very successful. Like one example is there's a book called Billion Dollar Game, where it's about three people who revolutionized TV. It's um, it's the guy who made Survivor, the guy who made Big Brother, and the guy who made Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. They revolutionized TV. So I thought, okay, well, why don't we try to do that on YouTube? It's very possible, which is why I'm creating that dating show. <laughs> like, yeah, that that's the reason why I'm creating a dating show, because I do feel that, oh, this can be a very interesting reality TV show for YouTube. You just have to make sure that you understand the differences between TV and YouTube. YouTube, there's a discovery platform, there are thumbnails and titles and stuff like that. TV, it's like channel based and it's linear and you can't go back. So as long as you understand the differences between the platform, but also understand the similarities between them and the fundamentals, then you could do really, really great on YouTube. That's what I think, which is why I'm starting these other channels to see if I'm right. How did you find that book? I think I read a read an article somewhere and they recommended it. And uh, it's really hard to find because you can't buy the Kindle version of it. You have to buy a, a real copy of it. How is it so far? I don't know. I read like 10 pages. <laughs> You're busy all week, dude. You don't have time for this stuff. Anyway. <laughs> I'm a really slow reader. I, I wish I read more. but <laughs> No, I guess I always get fascinated with books that are not as talked about. I just like, the, I like learning the things that like if everyone's talking about one thing, I'm like, that's fine. And sure, it's good. I'll check it out. But also like the books that maybe are not like I feel like this gives me somewhat of an edge on things. So I like that there's no Audible or Kindle on this stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. It might not be a great book. Maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I like the the concept. You know, the fact that like these three people revolutionized TV because when you actually read it, it, it goes really deep into their story, and it's more about like their life before and stuff like that. It's it's less on the business side, on the strategy side, or how to make content good. It's more about them getting rich and you're like wow that's awesome <laughs> that's interesting dude it was nice connecting with you man yeah it was nice connecting with you too well that is a wrap i hope you loved the episode if you did go check out joma tech on youtube that's j-o-m-a tech on youtube next text a friend you love them yo dog let's buy a cordy together man they're so cute also frenchies before you go tweet at me at noah kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode and remember to subscribe to my email list. That's sendfox.com slash Noah. Sendfox.com slash Noah for juicy exclusive content for email subscribers. Plus, start your own newsletter. It's free. Sendfox.com. Finally, a couple of shout outs to my amazing team. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com. He does all the editing. Otherwise, these shows sound like crap. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, Huber, Jonathan, Sasa, and Jen from the Dork Team. Thank you. And finally, shout out to Vanessa Yepes. You've been doing an amazing job as the head of customer and partner experience at AppSumo. 
Huge props for being a winner in the Built-in Austin's Moxie Awards. This award highlights women in tech making valuable contributions. Much respect. Have a gorgeous day. What's your favorite underwater creature? Mm -hmm.